Welcome to the Infernal Schoolhouse Podcast. Explosions of fire. I'm Brian. And I'm Aaron. This week on the podcast, we will be discussing the art of role-playing. And we have a special guest star. That's right. So for this one, uh, we really wanted to dive a little bit deeper into uh, one of the most uh, crucial parts of the TT RPG process, which is role-playing. And so, Brian, before we get to our special guest star, what would you say role-playing means to you? To me, this is the key differentiator between role-playing games, obviously it's in the name, and the rest of, say, tabletop universe, where you're just yourself and you're just trying to achieve some sort of an objective. And so I think role-playing is a key differentiator. And I will say this, too. I think it's the thing that freaks people out the most. Mm-hmm. So when I try to invite people into the world or invite them to our table, often this is the the thing that they're going to put their hands up and say, I don't know, that part freaks me out. I don't know how to do that. For sure. And I know that you have a, a background in film. So, you know, whether it's role-playing games or whether it's, you know, going through that sort of education and work experience, can you remember what your first like real role-playing experience was? Um I mean, for me, my film experience was always behind the camera and it was always me running away from being in front of the camera and (laughs) role playing and pretending. So I I really have a lot of understanding for folks when they are nervous about this. But for me, really, it was role playing games that kind of got me into it. And recently I was in a corporate training environment and I was just doing some role playing with, with my partner at this corporate training and the the guy that I was partnered with, he he stopped me and he was like, are, are you a professional actor? And I was confused at first. And then I realized, no, it's because I'm used to role playing. And it just sort of came naturally to me. But yeah, my first experience 100% would be, and, and primary experience is with role playing games. Yeah, uh, that's great. Uh, and, you know, that reminds me when you bring up that corporate training, uh, because I used to do a lot of training in customer service for a really long time, um, especially when I worked in hospitality. And uh, one of the the hotels I was at, they had like little like cards so you can practice with your staff on different scenarios with a guest. And it would say like, you know, like the water heater is broken or something. And then they would tell you the level of anger or frustration you would have. And so I would role play those exactly how a guest would do them based upon whatever the card was. And people were like, oh, God, and like, <laughs> but it, it's just kind of gets you in that moment where like they're kind of wondering, like, where is this coming from? From this Good man? Good Lord, this guy's into it. <laughs> You got to find those moments there. It's it's fun stuff. So for our guest today, we have one of our core members of our RPG group. His name is David Flavin. And David, I would say, is probably one of the best uh, role players that I've ever had the pleasure of having sit at a table, not just from the actual ability to role play, but then also understanding the games and mechanics of what he's doing. So I thought it'd be great if we can bring him on here after having joined us first when we were about midway through Curse of Strahd. And kind of talk to him about his experience as a role player. Also, I just want to say before David speaks, one of the coolest voices around as well. Oh, that's for sure. <laughs> so, David, thank you for joining us today. Wow, what a what an intro! How do I how do I add on to that? Right, like <laughs> it's kind of like the you know the, you have these levels of of infamy, and it's always nice to kind of to to share that with other people. So, I do appreciate y'all inviting me. For sure. So before we get into our regular giant list of questions, I wanted to see if maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself when it comes to TTRPGs and kind of what your first experience was with them. 
Absolutely. So my path, I would say to what, you know, a lot of people have exposure to nowadays, which is Dungeons and Dragons, actually came very, very strangely. And, and what I mean by that is that growing up in Northern California and just a, a small rural community about 300 miles south of Portland, 300 miles north of San Francisco in a place called Humboldt County, not too much in the way of local game stores. You can be surprised by that. Um <laughs> Uh, so what it came about is that my dad, who lived in the Bay Area for quite some time and then moved up around up, and he introduced me to a D100 system, is actually called Arduin, that was built in the 1970s by a gentleman named Dave Hargrave, um, who passed away in about 1986. But he made about 10 modules or, or small little booklets he, that at the time, this Hargrave gentleman actually was one of the uh, main... I would say foes against what TSR was making with Dungeons and Dragons at the time, right? Because there were these bite-sized booklets. He actually did a really good job of marrying fantasy with, I would say, the versatility of, of wanting that grounded reality. And so, quite often, what I found was that you know my exposure to this was these these little booklets, and I thought that you know that was role playing at the time. Come to find out later, you know, as I got more into it through things like Vampire the Masquerade, Dungeons and Dragons was something that I finally got introduced to actually around third edition, then found second, you know, with Thacko and things like that. So definitely a very strange kind of roundabout way to it. But yeah, I would say with that, quite a lot to it. And yeah, that's, that's kind of where my jumping off point is. Awesome. Well, Brian, why don't you take us off from the top here on our questions? So let's talk about the development of your role-playing skills and what are what experiences or resources have helped you refine your abilities. Sure. So my role-play experience has actually started in high school in theater. So moving out to uh, Colorado uh, was actually a really great boon for me in terms of actually starting to develop what was considered, you know, my craft. Uh, just a because, theater kid. I knew yeah. <laughs> uh, and choir as well. Um, so for a choir me, kid too. Oh my god, yeah. this is starting to make sense. I think I have all the information I need from you. Yeah, now. no, please. <laughs> I, I think we should cut it there. Oh, but what, what's strange is that up until that point, like like I said, living in a, a rural community, it was all about sports, and so the hard part was, is, you know, getting exposed to this role playing thing. I felt very strange. But what was interesting to me was that my first session was a an Arduin game, and my dad at the time it was at the gm you know so he he led me my little brother and my mom <laughs> we all had to play two separate characters and, and at first <laughs> it was just rolling dice right because i'm not gonna get into an in-depth hardcore tear-inducing role play session with my at the time five-year-old little brother can't <laughs> imagine he's gonna be you know i mean it was beautiful at the time but i i can't imagine he really knew what he was doing right it was just rolling dice but what was so interesting to me is that he was a like he kind of said, well, what do you say to him? And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you know, he's staring at you. You know, the innkeeper's asking what you'd like to drink. And I'm just like, I don't, uh, wine. <laughs> he's like, all right, what kind of wine? And I'm just like, what, what are you doing? Like, what is <laughs> happening right now? Like, like where did dad end? And you know, this, this gruff looking innkeeper begin. So uh, marrying that, you know, that, that exposure with finally getting into theater and, and playing like, you know, a cop and all sorts of weird roles that theater allows you to do is really what kind of helped me start, you know, recognize that it's like, oh, a character can have something to it. And it's not just simply like, you know, you're reading lines off of monologue or something like that. 
so so recognizing that that was really kind of like the the starting point where it's like oh like these can have really really I almost want to say delicious, right? Parts to them where you're really diving into something that has more than one part to it. This is really interesting to me to hear you talk about your initial discomfort with this, because when I play with you, what really stands out to me is how quickly and organically you you jump right into a role where mm. I've actually seen you with two character sheets in your hand five minutes before the game. And then five minutes into the game, you're going into this crazy background story. Sure. And with all these details. And so that's that's really cool to hear the beginnings of that. Yeah, that's well, awesome. So David, what would you say in your opinion are some key attributes that make a skilled role player stand out from the rest? So I would say to start is comfort and uncomfortability, right? The What you find yourself in any circumstance, especially one that deals with assuming roles, talking, you know, improv, right, is that none of it should stick to you, right? That it's all just in the moment, you know, as long as you're maintaining people's personal boundaries, right? You're not like going out of your way to make somebody uncomfortable. Uh, We all have had people like that. Uh, But there's a lot of wiggle room in the middle. And I think the important part is to enjoy that, right? I think, Mm -hmm. you know, much in the same way as anybody enjoys a hobby, if you have that be something that you go in and just say, well, I don't care what happens as long as I have fun, I think that can lend itself. So I think first and foremost, going in with that expect, not even an expectation, but that that want to just be like, I want to have fun and I want other people to as well, it tends to like it, it provides that vibrancy that I think a lot of role players can really benefit from. I think its second thing can be is that not having or being married to an idea, right? I think we we all know people that tend to be tied to, you know, the edge lord or to a specific character concept. It's like, no, this is who I have. This is what he will be ad infinitum, right? That there will never be a change to what I have. I want to play Cloud from Final Fantasy VII, and by God, come hell or high water, that's what I'm going to do, even if he is a you know, a gnome bard. I'm going to have a gnome bard whose name is actually Cloud. Uh, <laughs> so if you remove that that idea that everything has to be so set and you have all this, you know, it, it's like being in a bouncy castle. You have all this room that you can maneuver. I love to hear both of those points. And the first one actually shocked me because rather than focus on performance, you talk about fun, which mm-hmm. I think is incredible. And I think that's probably advice I'm going to start giving as well which is don't worry as much about performance or expectations of others, but rather just have some fun with it and respect boundaries, which is an important moment because what they think could be fun could actually be a wrecking ball to other people's feelings. Well, and, you know, as you get to know your group, you can push that a little bit more, right? That's, that's where the the beauty of, you know, those poignant moments, right? Where when you, you have that ability for your character to evolve or when you really understand who the character is, that's when you can really dig in and, and kind of allow that opportunity to, you know, like make a sudden turn that other people weren't expecting. Cause you're like, Oh, well, I know, I know this character feels this way. So I need to then incorporate it. Yeah. And that's actually a good segue for the next question I wanted to ask you, which is, can you think of a key moment that you really enjoyed where you think your role play uh, enhanced the game or took it in a different direction? And I will say, if you can't think of one, I certainly can. But I'm, I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are. Sure. So I would say, I mean, I definitely have a few at our specific table. And I think I'll probably just use those just because it can it can bring illuminance and especially you can you can add to it. So I think that would be the best. One thing it was actually a, a character concept that originally my wife played that I brought in 
who was a drow druid. She was somebody who eschewed drow society just because of the fact that she had a son who was sacrificed to the spider god and she did not want to be part of this hierarchy despite being a, a drow noble. So her her entire motivation was to ensure that she could bring back her son in any way, shape, or form. And that still is the case. That character is still ongoing pending what our West March's campaign does. <laughs> but the, the poignant moment was that uh, the, the group was charged with going to slay, I believe it was a white dragon? They were. Yeah, and so she was actually out for that part because we needed a ranger, so I brought in a just a dragonborn ranger to, to fill in. But the poignant moment is when the, the group got back and it was the whole like, oh, you know, we've we've successfully done this. We're going to get our gold and that's going to be the end of it. And her poignant moment was pointing out the hypocrisy of the group, knowing that her ends for having previously wanted to end a a particular undead that was, you know, harassing the group and even the the, the towns, there was a sacrifice that needed to be made. And she said that a one child's life was worth the saving of a bunch of people. And when the group came back and said that they'd killed a dragon, it's like, well, you've just orphaned another creature for the sake of pure greed. It's not even for the betterment of other people. It's for your own pocket linings. And so just, just being able to sit in that moment of uncomfort was really something that that helped me, especially talking to one of the people in the group who was playing a cleric. It's like, you know, do you not see how you react to allowing the undead to continue to walk the earth? But, you, you know, you're still allowing yourself the opportunity to be blinded by greed. So that was absolutely what I was going to talk about. And David, one thing that really stood out to me then and now is that your character was confrontational but your you as a player were not mm. and i think that's a special skill that i'm still kind of trying to tease out in my mind but i've definitely been in in role-playing situations with folks where the character and the player seem to be controversial and it sure. kind of ruffles feathers and so i remember thinking wow his character is being so contrarian right now and i remember the the rest of the player characters, myself included, were, were physically forbidding were not... leaving. Yes. We were lining up to prevent your next yes. movement, but yes. your your demeanor as a person was unchanged. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like we're all on the same page and we're moving narratively in the same direction, right. even though the characters are at odds. That was a really cool moment. Yeah, so I think that's something that I imagine you'll you'll have a follow-up for, which is motivation, right? That it's like, how can people who have such contrasting views exist in the same, whether it's party, universe, you know, how can they manifest together, right? And I think of it much in the same way as how do people that, you know, have different political views allow themselves the opportunity of working in the same office, right? It's that nine times out of ten usually doesn't come up, which is good. (laughs) We're not (laughs) discussing things like that in the open. But more so than that, right, we all tend to have goals, right, whether it's short-term and long-term goals. And I think the more that you can align goals to a more long-term view, the more that people can, on a short-term level, get along. Uh, because you're not sitting there saying that, okay, this goal is a uh, means to an end that I cannot abide by, right? And I think, you know, especially a woman who is looking to revive her child by any means necessary is willing to you know, uh, go along with the, the odds and ends that, that in the meantime may not 
directly align with those goals, but we'll get closer to the in, at the information that she seeks. That's great. And I'm glad that you mentioned motivation because I want to pivot off of that yeah, and please. ask you because I know that you're really good at this. And I think that one of the key aspects of role-playing is the character creation process, is the understanding of the backgrounds. So mm. what sort of advice would you give for somebody to be able to create you know, really compelling personas that immerse you in the game world? Sure. So I think something that usually jumps out to me is what is something that you've wanted to play? And I mean, and I go back to the Gnome Bard being Cloud Strife as, as kind of that jumping off point, right? We all have characters, whether it be from literary, whether it be from TVs and movies, that we've all kind of thought as an incredibly compelling character in one form or another. And so for me, usually that is something that I always kind of have in the hopper as far as what would that character be like in different circumstances, but they, if their personality is still the same. You know, like Hannibal Lecter, in and of himself, is an incredibly fascinating persona, but if you manifest that in a different way, where, you know, his, you know, his idiot idioms and idiosyncrasies are more centered around like chocolate, right? It becomes an interesting <laughs> spin because rather than him like wanting to eat people, he's just, you know, a really He's OCD about chocolate and you don't, <laughs> it, it spins a different way. And so for me, usually that's, that's where I allow people or what the, I would say the first major tip I would have, because what it allows you to do is that you already are comfortable with the concept. You're already familiar with who they are, how they maybe think or feel. And so it can give you and keep you in that headspace really quickly. But I think a second one can be, we all in life tend to, you know, have what ifs, right? We all think to ourselves, oh, well, you know, in high school, if I'd have been a, a football star, all oh, my confidence would have been like this in my life. You know, we imagine the different trajectories. There was that NBC show, right, that I think went for two seasons. It was like the one, the same guy, but it's like, what if he did this? What if he was a country music star? What if he was a football player? So I think we all have manifestations of, you know, what would I be like if I had this, whether it's more confidence or if it's less confidence, if, you know, I had a stutter, like you can actually use yourself as a frame of reference. And what's nice about fantasy role play is it gives you that idea of stepping out of your shoes and, and fulfilling a different headspace for a bit. In fact, if anything, it's therapeutic uh, that it's allowed me the opportunity to to try out mannerisms or personal stylings that for me would have never been something across my mind. Hmm. Uh, but it's actually helped me visualize and get into a different headspace that it's like, you know, for me, I'm an atheist, but I've played, I play clerics pretty regularly and existing in that space where it's like having such a stalwart sense of yes, my God is real. My God manifests within me. You know, I am his bastion and his champion of choice and the world only exists through his lens is so awesome to dive into because that ability of the absence of doubt is so foreign to me, but, but playing it, it's like you can make things simple, right? And by, by virtue of taking that headspace, it, like I said, it offers that simplicity. Yeah, Aaron, I'm, I'm so excited to do our, I'm excited. And David, you talked a lot about the sort of therapeutic applications. And mm. I've been really, really excited to dig more into the therapeutic applications of RPGs. Yeah. 
And so I'm just, you know, calling forward, like we're, we're going to do this and it's going to be amazing. But those are some really incredible thoughts there. So we've talked a lot about in the past episodes about metagaming. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you could kind of talk us through you, this idea of you're immersed as the character, you're, mm-hmm. you're making the, the, the character's decisions, but then there's also this pull to be strategic and make the correct choice. So can you talk a little bit about balancing those two and how you think about that when you play? Absolutely. So I think, right, what helps is understanding how much you are in the game. And what I mean by that is that the versalimitude of being lost in kind of understanding what is happening in the game, right, the mechanics. And I think this is actually where having tabletop combat does tend to help, at least for combat-based understanding, right? Theater of the mind is theater of the mind, and you can definitely get lost. And I think that's where the improvisational skills can help, where if you really listen to what the DM is kind of providing you, and what happens is, let's say, for example, you say, well, I go to observe observe this, and the DM says, well, you're in the other room. Like, he says you're in the other room. So, like, go off of that. You're like, well, I would like to then go to that room, right? Don't bury the lead and assume that just by virtue of you stating that you've done something or that you exist somewhere that you do, right? This isn't your world. You are helping create that. I think for me, usually what I do is this is also what helps by checking and, and discussing it, discussing with the GM what is happening allows you the idea to gain that clarity. And also what's nice is that the more that you understand the rule set, the less that you are existing in the whole, can I do this? right? It becomes less of a barrier because you know, you understand what the rules set. And again, that's where checking with the GM always helps because it it gives you that understanding of, okay, you know, do, do you go by the movement action bonus action, or is it something where, you know, am I allowed to do this? All right. So having that pause to be able to say, okay, what am I allowed to do? Gives you that flexibility. My, dad was a hard ass when it came to the reality of combat and there's actually a section in the arduin book that i that i own called about the realities of combat where you know somebody being able to with crystal clear clarity once they down an enemy being able to spin 180 and cast a fireball to you know stop a group of enemies that's attacking your friend in reality right like the person that made that arduin book went through vietnam I can only imagine the chaos of Vietnam, right? So (laughs) when he built the system, he did it with the intention of knowing that in combat, that things are insane, right? You have the clashing of steel. You have people shouting and, and casting spells while moving objects. You have people running to and from. And being able to know with a pinpoint precision where everything is, is insanity. And so what happens is, and, you know, no system has really been able to marry that well, is is that's where the line of you helping your GM kind of establish what it is and kind of just say, what can I see? What can I hear? Who is in front of me? Who is behind me? Don't make the assumption that you can do that. Let, you know, the person that's painting the picture tell you what the colors are. So that way you spend less time arguing with them and more just saying, okay, well, with that, here's what it is. And again, that's where that comfort of just having fun is. Because I think the difficulty of metagaming is people think that in order to play the game well, you have to win. That the purpose of the game is to win stuff, 
right? Mm-hmm. To be level yeah. 20, to mm-hmm. ascend to the realms of the gods, to have a, you know, indestructible weapon that can cut between atoms, <laughs> whatever the case may be. People think that that is the end point of the game, not recognizing that role play in and of itself is about the experience. And I think the difficulty is that we, whoever did it, I don't know who, but somebody buried the lead at some point and said, no, no, no. Gaming is about winning, right? And JRPGs to that point haven't helped, but to their end, they do what they need to, right? If you need to sink in, you know, 80 hours into the remake of Final Fantasy seven, go for it. Final Fantasy 16. I mean, there's a whole bunch of side quests. You can get Doom Ringer, whatever the case may be and get all the summons. But role-playing is not about that. It never has been, nor will it ever if you really want to get what it is that makes the root of it fun yeah and that is to have those poignant moments of wow we're doing this together or we're existing in the space right like the, the what made that moment with you with me versus the group so fun is that it was that moment right mm. that's what the people that's what people are talking about People aren't talking about the 10,000 gold or the fact that the thief stole the egg and hid it somewhere that we still can't find or, <laughs> or any of the shiny objects, right? Like you can't tangibly hold the shiny objects, but I can still smile thinking about that moment, you know, years from now, right? That is, that is my win. And so that is what I go into the, the moment. So metagaming to me is not something, and I realized this was about metagaming, <laughs> but <laughs> Metagaming to me is the antithesis of fun because what you are doing at that moment is that you're taking the liberty out of other people helping decide what happens and stating that you want to know everything and it's okay not to know. And I think that is the paranoia that makes people want to do it more is that people hate not knowing things. Yeah. And I, we actually talked about the toxic player behaviors last week on the podcast and one of them was about metagaming but i was mentioning to um brian i don't remember if it was uh, during the podcast or aside to it but how you are very good at it because you know a lot about rpgs and it's very impossible for you to come in there and not metagame because it's already in your brain and you mm. still find a way to do it anyway but that being said i want to pivot a little bit and ask yes, you yes please what do you think is the most fun character you've ever played Ooh. So I would say I've had the most fun in your games, you know, so I will throw the aplomb back where it was given to me. What, what I found in the past was that unfortunately, and this is the dilemma that a lot of parties tend to have that I'm sure uh, a question might come up about it is a lot of people tend to forget that if you are going to gather a group of usually mur- murder hobers together or people that don't have this uh, distinctive identity where, you know, you, you recognize that you have a druid and a ranger and other people that are stealthy. So having a plate wearing cleric is not going to help your thing at all. I tended to have people that always did their, I'm playing this thing and I'm only going to play this thing. (laughs) So I had a friend that always would play a rogue. Didn't matter what the campaign was, you know, three, 3.5, four second, you know, you name an addition, you name a, a, a gaming system, he would play a rogue. We had another guy that would always play some sort of wizard and both of them were back rank people, right? Like we usually only would have three or four party members. So somebody had to play tank. So nine times out of 10, I was a plate wielding guy with a shield standing in the front 
doing absolutely nothing and getting um, harried by a sword and an arrow and magic spell, what have you. And it just, that was my existence, right? That was my role playing for quite some time, which got boring. And, but it was like, well, you know, we're here to play. So why not? And then they ended up playing like DC universe online or Diablo <laughs> four or whatever it was. But as I came here and what was interesting, and especially like when you, you gave me the opportunity to play in Strahd and you're like, well, you know, uh, here's what we have. You know, we, the group might still need a cleric. What was nice was, is that, for the first time, I didn't feel like I was going into a group that I understood people's mannerisms or understood like what it is that they were expecting, right? It was on me to kind of help carry that. And so what it allowed me to do is it allowed me the opportunity to say, okay, well, you know, getting back to my theater roots, like what would be interesting? You know, what are the group dynamics like? Is there anybody that's a face of the party? You know, because faces are a lot of fun, you know, bards, things like that. So recently, I would say my top two, I would say, I will say that the one shot that we did that I played the swords bard was fun in terms of mechanically, right? Mm -hmm. Being able to have the variability of a bard, I think is something that everybody should do at least once Uh, because you have inspiration that allows you the opportunity of benefiting other people. You have the opportunity of doing something and and making, bolstering yourself. And then you also have the opportunity, especially as the swords bards of, of going into melee, despite the fact that Brian with his betrayal of ending up being a <laughs> illithid still haunts my nightmares. But no, I think honestly the the arcane cleric that I played in Strahd was a lot of fun because it was it was turning something which is a cleric and being so clinical and turning it on its head where it's essentially somebody who, you know, is is very much about knowledge and things like that, but also appreciating that his knowledge comes from a, a domain and being able to kind of blunt, I think, a lot of the confusion that the party had, because we're talking about, you know, it was a Strahd campaign that had been going on two years at that point. And, you know, they had like the Sunblade, they had the the journal, they had all these items that they clearly could have, at the very least, gave him a run for his money. And the cleric's first question is, okay, so you've told me everything you have. You have this, you know, blade that emanates light from the sun. You have all these things that are supposed to kill this vampire. What are What are you doing? Like, why, (laughs) what are you waiting for? (laughs) But I will say outside of that, the other one that I've really, really enjoyed is actually Call of Cthulhu. Mm -hmm. So my doctor, Dr. Brown, and actually, thankfully, I have somebody, Aaron, like you to to bounce ideas off of who is a, you know, groundskeeper with a lot of trauma, but (laughs) enjoying the fact, right. And this is something where it's like, I didn't know this about my character, but through the roles, finding out that I'm a, a doctor of medicine who is almost scared of dead bodies and has a, a violent <laughs> manifestation every single time he uh, reveals a corpse is hilarious and not something I that, that I ever could have planned. So yeah, was that I, born of David, was that born of poor roles? Yes, like, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Which Aaron, to our point previously, one of the pieces of advice we've given is find your character in the game, not necessarily right. before the game. I remember that moment and I remember it was the supreme irony, but then it becomes an attribute of the character. Well, and it's also what helped feed the dynamic that that Aaron's character and I exhibit towards each other, right? Where it's the malice that he had towards me is my inability to perform my job considering the the severity of what he's done. Whereas for me, you know, this this scholarly, you know, very formal, like everything needs to be prim and proper. And he's there, you know, like <laughs> with a screwdriver just going, you know, like, 
you need me to break down that door and shiv this guy in the eyeball? Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's always something that comes by virtue of that. And so to that credit, I think also being a GM allows you that opportunity of recognizing how a role can be, you know, really just dynamic because of how much that you have to kind of make up in the, in the moment. That's Love great. That. Great. So as we are getting close to time, I think I want to put you on the spot a little bit, if you don't mind, make you yeah, a little please. comfortable. All right. Yeah, go for it. So I would like to give you a role-playing exercise and okay. I want to see you work through this one. So sure. I just want you to give me the background for this character that I'm going to give you. So okay. I'm going to call her, let's say Penny Schadenfreude. All right. So okay. Penny uh, is a spooky from monster of the week. She's 10 years old. Mm. Uh, she wears pigtails. And for those of okay. you who don't know, a spooky is a type of character who hunts monsters, but uses a lot of weird magic to do so. So give me your background for why you would be hunting monsters. So unfortunately for me, I was, my parents couldn't really afford to pay the lighting bills that often. So I found myself kind of uh, sleeping in the dark. They gave me a flashlight, but the batteries kept going in and out and shorting. So what I had to do is I had to make sure that I was super strong in order to be able to try to fight them. We moved into a really, really kind of rickety old a place. I don't know why they decided to do it, but they, they said it was... They said it was cheap and that it was close to the school. So that's why we got it. I ended up going into the attic and I found a really cool book that had a lot of weird words on it, but it ended up like glowing with a really weird light. And at, after some point, I actually could end up reading it. Thankfully, the the extra after school lessons that I've been getting with the, the teacher, because I'm not that good at reading, has been helping. Uh, so as a result, what that means is that I've been able to get stronger when I when I say certain words and I, I carry certain things on me to be able to to be strong. So it's it's actually really, really cool. I have a little teddy bear uh, that I have with me. His name is is Timmy. And Timmy helps me be strong whenever I'm I'm scared because I pretend he's a real bear. And that's really cool. So so Penny, can I ask you what sort of bad things happen when your magic fails? So my magic fails, what tends to happen is that another penny comes she's not very nice her eyes turn green and she likes to hurt people or what can happen is that timmy instead of being a stuffed animal ends up becoming a real bear and that can be scary too that's great thank you david and i just want to say for our audience that i did not tell him i was doing that nor did he write that that completely came out of his brain while i asked the question it was interesting to watch David's face while I did that because he kept looking up and to the left, which I think I remember is what you do when you lie. But you had this thing <laughs> where you were just like staring like the answer's up there somewhere and you're yeah. just like pulling it out of the ether. It was really cool to watch. Yeah. No, well, it's either that or it's like depending on where I'm looking, that's also how a lot of people can picture. Like that's that's where the, the side of the brain that allows the opportunity to to manifest. So that is my, yeah, that's my go-to spot. If I need to conjure something, quite literally. So yeah, if you ever see me kind of staring off into that ether, that is me, <laughs> my, my magical imagination closet that I'm opening up. That was incredible. And I will say this interview exceeded my expectations because I actually learned a lot about your process. And when we selected you and we had this conversation, Aaron and I, I just knew you were great at it. And so I've learned a lot about how you're great at it. And also the just the, the the beginnings of it with your dad and that the, this idea of you and your family sitting down playing role playing games and your kid it's like really cool to me. 
Yeah. Well, I can say like, you know, and, and I give my dad a lot of credit, but the reason why I stayed on RPGs, because my stepdad, my dad's stepdad, I used them interchangeably, but my mom introduced me to playing JRPGs. Like she played Final Fantasy VII when I was, you know, 11, 12 and showed me what she was doing in Star Ocean, the second story and Wild Arms and all these things where I was like, holy sh wow my mom plays rpgs and you know just is super chill about it and she does it while she's folding laundry like she'd play <laughs> she'd be beating emerald weapon do knights of the round twice with w summon and then she'd spend the next 20 minutes folding laundry while the animation finished because it takes 45 minutes for that damn thing <laughs> to finally get, <laughs> get over but it's like you know having two parents that were just like yeah you know uh, whatever you want to do cool but here's what i'm doing allowed me the chance to to think that yeah i mean you can be somebody who isn't a jock and and still exists in a world and and be you know just be you so that's great well thank you david we really appreciate you being on here and we appreciate your listening this week and we look forward to seeing you next time yeah of course anytime you want to have me back and i'll even do a a substitution segment you know i enjoy talking to y'all and you're definitely wonderful people so thank you David, thank you so much. And thanks for listening this week, friends. Please check us out on our Instagram and at our website, infernalschoolhouse.com. Also, our Etsy store is live and Aaron and I are cooking up some really cool products to put up there. So please check us out. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.